Section 8 of The Governess, or The Little Female Academy, by Sarah Fielding. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Wednesday, the third day. As soon as school was over in the morning, our little company were impatient to go into the arbor to hear Miss Dolly's story. But Mrs. Teacham told them they must be otherwise employed, for their writing master, who lived some miles off, and who was expected in the afternoon was just then come in and begged that they would give him their attendance though out of school time because he was obliged to be at home again before the afternoon to meet a person who would confer some favour on him and would be highly disobliged should he not keep his appointment and i know said mrs teacham my little dears you would rather lose your own amusement then let any one suffer a real inconvenience on your accounts they all readily complied and cheerfully set to their writing and in the afternoon mrs teacham permitted them to leave off work an hour sooner than usual as a reward for their readiness to lose their amusement in the morning and being met in their arbour miss dolly read as follows the story of celia and chloe celia and chloe were both left orphans at the tender age of six years amanda their aunt who was very rich and a maiden took them directly under her care and bred them up as her own children celia's mother was amanda's sister and chloe's father was her brother so that she was equally related to both they were left entirely unprovided for were both born on the same day and both lost their mothers on the day of their birth their fathers were soldiers of fortune and both killed in one day in the fame engagement but their fortunes were not more similar than their persons and dispositions they were both extremely handsome and in their childhood were so remarkable for liveliness of parts and sweetness of temper that they were the admiration of the whole country where they lived their aunt loved them with a sincere and equal affection and took the greatest pleasure imaginable in their education and particularly to encourage that love and friendship which she with pleasure perceived between them amanda being as was said very rich and having no other relations it was supposed that these her nieces would be very great fortunes and as soon as they became women they were addressed by all the men of fortune and no fortune round the neighbourhood but as the love of admiration and the desire of a large train of admirers had no place in their minds they soon dismissed in the most civil and obliging manner one after another all these lovers the refusing such numbers of men and some such as by the world were called good offers soon got them the name of jilts and by that means they were freed from any farther importunity and for some years enjoyed that peace and quiet they had long wished their aunt from being their mother and their guardian was now become their friend for as she endeavoured not in the least to force their inclinations they never kept anything concealed from her and every action of their lives was still guided by her advice and approbation they lived on in this way perfectly happy in their own little community till they were about two-and-twenty years old when there happened to be a regiment quartered in the neighbouring town to which their house was nearly situated and the lieutenant-colonel a man about four-and-thirty years old hearing their names had a great desire to see them 
for when he was a boy of sixteen he was put into the army under the care of chloe's father who treated him with the greatest tenderness and in that fatal engagement in which he lost his life received his death's wound by endeavouring to save him from being taken by the enemy and gratitude to the memory of so good a friend was as great an inducement to make him desire to see his daughter as a report he had heard both of hers and her cousin's great beauty sempronius for so this colonel was called was a very sensible well-bred agreeable man and from the circumstances of his former acquaintance and his present proper and polite behaviour he soon became very intimate in the family the old lady was particularly pleased with him and secretly wished that before she died she might be so happy as to see one of her nieces married to sempronius she could not from his behaviour see the least particular liking to either though he showed an equal and very great esteem and regard for both he in reality liked them both extremely and the reason of making no declaration of love was his being so undetermined in any preference that was due to either he saw plainly that he was very agreeable to both and with pleasure he observed that they made use of none of those arts which women generally do to get away a disputed lover and this sincere friendship which subsisted between them raised in him the highest degree of love and admiration however he at last determined to make the following trial he went first to chloe and finding her alone told her that he had the greatest liking in the world to her cousin and had really a mind to propose himself to her but as he saw a very great friendship between them he was willing to ask her advice in the matter and conjured her to tell him sincerely whether there was anything in celia's temper not discoverable by him which as a wife would make him unhappy he told her that if she knew any such thing it would be no treachery but rather kind in her to declare it as it would prevent her friends being unhappy which must be the consequence in marriage of her making him so chloe could not help seeing very plainly that if celia was removed she stood the very next in sempronius's favour her lover was present her friend was absent and the temptation was too strong and agreeable to be resisted she then answered that since he insisted upon the truth and had convinced her that it was in reality acting justly and kindly by her friend she must confess that celia was possessed though in a very small degree of what she had often heard him declare most against of anything in the world and that was an artfulness of temper and some few sparks of envy chloe's confused manner of speaking and frequent hesitation as unwilling to pronounce her friend's condemnation which as being unused to falsehood was really unaffected he imputed to tenderness and concern for celia but he did not in the least doubt but on his application to her he should soon be convinced of the truth of what chloe had said he then went directly to the arbour at the end of the garden and there to his wish he found celia quite alone and he addressed her exactly in the same manner concerning her cousin as he had before spoke to chloe concerning her celia suddenly blushed from motives i leave those to find out who can put themselves in her circumstances and then fetched a soft sigh from the thought that she was hearing a man she loved declare a passion of which she was not the object 
but after some little pause she told him that if chloe had any faults they were to her yet undiscovered and she really and sincerely believed her cousin would make him extremely happy sympronius then said that of all other things treachery and envy were what he had the greatest dislike to and he asked her if she did not think her cousin was a little tainted with these here celia could not help interrupting and assuring him that she believed her totally free from both and from his casting on her friend an aspersion which her very soul abhorred forgetting all rivalship she could not refrain from growing quite lavish in her praise suppose then said sempronius i was to say the same to your cousin concerning my intentions towards you as i have to you concerning her do you think she would say as many fine things in your praise as you have done in hers celia answered that she verily believed her cousin would say as much for her as she really deserved but whether that would be equal to what with justice she could say of chloe her modesty left her in some doubt of sempronius had too much penetration not to see the real and true difference in the behaviour of these two women and could not help crying out oh celia your honest truth and goodness in every word and look are too visible to leave me one doubt of their reality but could you believe it this friend of yours is false i have already put her to the trial by declaring to her my sincere and unalterable passion for you when on my insisting as i did to you upon her speaking the truth she accused you of what nothing should now convince me you are guilty of i own that hitherto my regard esteem and love had been equal to both but now i offer to the sincere artless and charming celia my whole heart love and affection and the service of every minute of my future life and from this moment i banish from my mind the false and ungrateful chloe celia's friendship for chloe was so deeply rooted in her breast that even a declaration of love from sempronius could not blot it one moment from her heart and on his speaking the words false chloe she burst into tears and said is it possible that chloe should act such a part towards her celia you must forgive her sempronius it was her violent passion for you and fear of losing you which made her do what hitherto her nature has ever appeared averse to sempronius answered that he could not enough admire her goodness to her friend chloe but such proofs of passion he said were to him at the same time proofs of it being such a passion as he had no regard for since it was impossible for any one to gain or increase his love by an action which at the same time lessened his esteem this was so exactly celia's own way of thinking that she could not but assent to what he said but just as they were coming out of the arbour chloe unseen by them passed by and from seeing him kiss her hand and the complacency of celia's look it was easy for her to guess what had been the result of their private conference she could not however help indulging her curiosity so far as to walk on the other side of a thick yew hedge to listen to their discourse and as they walked on she heard sempronius entreat celia to be cheerful and think no more of her treacherous friend whose wickedness he doubted not would sufficiently punish itself she then heard celia say i cannot bear sempronius to hear you speak so hardly of my chloe say that you forgive her and i will indeed be cheerful 
nothing upon earth can be conceived so wretched as poor chloe for on the first moment that she suffered herself to reflect on what she had done she thoroughly repented and heartily detested herself for such baseness she went directly into the garden in hopes of meeting sempronius to have thrown herself at his feet confessed her treachery and to have begged him never to have mentioned it to celia but now she was conscious her repentance would come too late and he would despise her if possible still more for such a recantation after her knowledge of what had passed between him and celia she could indeed have gone to him and not have owned what she had seen or heard but now her abhorrence of even the appearance of treachery or cunning was so great that she could not bear to add the smallest grain of falsehood or deceit to the weight of her guilt which was already almost insupportable and should she tell him of her repentance with a confession of her knowledge of his engagement with celia it would as has been before observed appear both servile and insincere nothing could now appear so altered as the whole face of this once happy family sempronius as much as possible shunned the sight of chloe for as she was the cause of all the confusion amongst them he had almost an aversion to her though he was not of an implacable temper yet as the injury was intended to one he sincerely loved he found it much harder to forgive it than if it had been succeeded against himself and as he still looked upon chloe as the cause of melancholy in his dear celia he could hardly have any patience with her no words can describe the various passions which were expressed in the sad countenance of chloe when first she met her friend they were both afraid of speaking shame and the fear of being and with too good reason suspected of insincerity withheld chloe and an unwillingness to accuse or hurt her friend withheld the gentle celia she sometimes indeed thought she saw repentance in chloe's face and wished for nothing more than to seal her pardon but till it was asked she was in doubt from what had passed whether such pardon and proffered reconciliation might not be rejected she knew that her friend's passions were naturally stronger than hers and she therefore trembled at the consequences of coming to an explanation but there was hardly a greater sufferer in this scene of confusion than the poor old lady amanda she saw a sort of horror and wildness in the face of chloe and in celia's a settled melancholy and such an unusual reserve in both towards each other as well as to herself as quite astonished her sempronius came indeed to the house as often as usual but in his countenance she could perceive a sort of anger and concern which perfectly frightened her but as they did not speak to her she could not bring herself to ask the cause of this woeful change for fear of hearing something too bad to bear celia had absolutely refused granting to sempronius leave to ask her aunt's consent till she could come to some explanation with chloe which seemed every day farther off than ever the great perturbation of chloe's mind threw her into a disorder not many degrees short of madness and at last she was seized with a violent fever so as to keep her bed she said she could not bear to look on amanda but begged celia to be with her as much as possible which she did in hopes of bringing herself to ease her mind by speaking to her of what had given them all this torment celia watched with her night and day for three days 
when the physician who attended her pronounced that there was no hope of her life celia could not any longer bear to stay in the room and went downstairs expecting every moment to hear she was expired chloe soon perceived by celia's abrupt leaving the room and the looks of those who were left in it that her fate was pronounced which instead of sinking her spirits and making her dejected gave a tranquillity to her mind for she thought within herself i shall now make my dear cousin happy by removing out of her way an object that must embitter all her joy and now likewise as she is convinced i am on my deathbed, she will once more believe me capable of speaking truth and will in the manner i could wish receive my sincere repentance then sending for celia up to her bedside she in a weak voice with hardly strength for utterance spoke in this manner my dear celia though you know me to be a worthless base wretch yet do not think so hardly of me as to imagine i would deceive you with my last breath believe me then when i tell you that i sincerely repent of my treachery towards you and as sincerely rejoice that it has in reality been the cause of your happiness with sempronius tell him this and then perhaps he will not hate my memory here she fainted away and they forced celia out of the room thinking her breath was for ever flown but in some time she came again to herself and cried out what would not my dear celia say that she forgave me methinks i would not die till i had obtained her pardon she is too good to refuse her friend this last request her attendants then told her that seeing her faint away they had forced celia out of the room and they begged her to try to compose herself for they were sure that seeing her friend again at this time would only disturb her mind and do her an injury chloe from the vent she had given her grief in speaking to celia found herself something more easy and composed and desiring the room to be made perfectly quiet she fell into a gentle sleep which lasted two hours and when she awaked she found herself so much better that those about her were convinced from her composed manner of speaking that she was now able to bear another interview they again called for celia and told her of her cousin's amendment she flew with all speed to her chamber and the moment she entered chloe cried out can you forgive me celia yes with the greatest joy and sincerity imaginable my dearest chloe answered celia and never let it be again mentioned or remembered the sudden recovery of chloe was almost incredible for in less than a week she was able to quit both her bed and room and go into her aunt's chamber the good old lady shed tears of joy to see such a return of chloe's health and of cheerfulness in the family and was perfectly contented now she saw their melancholy removed not to inquire into the late cause of it for fear of renewing their trouble even one moment by the remembrance of it sempronius in the meantime upon some affairs of his duty in the army had been called away and was absent the whole time of chloe's illness and was not yet returned celia spent almost her whole time with chloe but three weeks passed on and they were often alone yet they had never once mentioned the name of sempronius which laid celia still under the greatest difficulty how to act so as to avoid giving her friend any uneasiness and yet not disoblige sempronius 
for she had promised him at his departure that she would give him leave to ask her aunt's consent immediately upon his return but the very day he was expected she was made quite easy by what passed between her and her friend chloe in this time by proper reflections and a due sense of celia's great goodness and affection to her had so entirely got the better of herself in this affair that she found she could now without any uneasiness see them married and calling celia to her she said with a smile i have my dear friend been so long accustomed to read in that intelligible index your countenance all your most inmost thoughts that i have not been unobserving of those kind fears you have had on my account and the reason i have so long delayed speaking was my resolution if possible never again to deceive you i can with pleasure now assure you that nothing can give me so much joy as to see your wedding with sempronius i make no doubt but if you ask it you will have my aunt's consent and if any intercession should be wanting towards obtaining it i will if you can trust me use all my influence in your behalf be assured my dear celia i have now no farther regard left for sempronius than as your husband and that regard will increase in proportion as he is the cause of your happiness they were interrupted in their discourse by news being brought of the arrival of sempronius and chloe received him with that ease and cheerfulness as convinced celia her professions were unfeigned celia related to sempronius all that had passed between her and chloe and by her continued cheerfulness of behaviour the peace and tranquillity of the family was perfectly restored and their joy greatly increased by amanda's ready consent to the marriage of sempronius and celia having first settled all her fortune to be divided at her death equally between her nieces and in her lifetime there was no occasion of settlements or deeds of gift for they lived all together and separate property was not so much as mentioned or thought on in this family of harmony and peace here miss dolly ceased reading and all her hearers sat some little time silent and then expressed their great joy that celia and chloe were at last happy for none of them had been able to refrain from tears whilst they were otherwise on which miss jenny peace begged them to observe from this story the miserable effects that attend deceit and treachery for continued she you see you could not refrain from tears only by imagining what chloe must feel after her wickedness by which indeed she lost the very happiness she intended treacherously to gain nor could she enjoy one moment's peace till by confessing her fault and heartily repenting of it her mind was restored to its former calm and tranquillity miss dolly thanked miss jenny for her remarks but miss lucy sly was most sensibly touched with this story as cunning had formerly entirely possessed her mind and said that if her companions were not weary at present of their arbour she would now recount to them the history of her life as this story was a proper introduction to it the description of miss lucy sly miss lucy sly was of the same age as miss dolly friendly but shorter at least by half the head she was generally called a pretty girl from having a pair of exceeding fine black eyes only with the allay of something cunning in their look she had a high forehead and very good curling back hair she had a sharp high nose and a very small mouth 
her complexion was but indifferent and the lower part of her face ill-turned for her chin was too long for due proportion the life of miss lucy sly from the time i was two years old said miss lucy my mamma was so sickly that she was unable to take any great care of me herself and i was left to the care of a governess who made it her study to bring me to do what she had a mind to have done without troubling her head what induced me so to do and whenever i did anything wrong she used to say it was the footboy and not miss that was naughty nay she would say it was the dog or the cat or anything she could lay the blame upon sooner than own it was me i thought this pure that i was never in fault and soon got into a way of telling any lies and of laying my own faults on others since i found i should be believed i remember once when i had broken a fine china cup that i artfully got out of the scrape and hid the broken cup in the footboy's room he was whipped for breaking it and the next day whilst i was at play about the room i heard my governess say to a friend who was with her yesterday miss lucy broke a china cup but the artful little hussy went and hid it in the footboy's room and the poor boy was whipped for it i don't believe there was ever a girl of her age that had half her cunning and contrivance i knew by her tone of voice and her manner of speaking that she did not blame me in her heart but rather commended my ingenuity and i thought myself so wise that i could thus get off the blame from myself that i every day improved in new inventions to save myself and have others punished in my place this life of endeavouring to deceive i led till i came to school but here i found that i could not so well carry on my little schemes for i was found out and punished for my own faults and this created in me a hatred to my companions for whatever miss i had a mind to serve as i used to serve our footboy in laying the blame falsely upon her if she could justify herself and prove me in the wrong i was very angry with her for daring to contradict me and not submitting as quietly to be punished wrongfully as the footboy was forced to do this is all i know of my life hitherto thus ended miss lucy's lie and miss jenny pease commended miss lucy for her free confession of her faults and said she doubted not but she would find the advantage of amending and endeavouring to change a disposition so very pernicious to her own peace and quiet as well as to that of all her friends but they now obeyed the summons of the supper-bell and soon after retired to rest end of section eight